We have a very long scripture reading for this morning um, for our passage. And so let's jump right into it. It's First Thessalonians chapter five, <clears throat> verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> what, is, uh, what are the kinds of things that can be quenched? Fire. Thirst. If he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about fire. Do you remember what John the Baptist says? Um, when Jesus is just coming on the scene in his public ministry and, and, and John is baptizing people with water in the River Jordan, and John says when Jesus comes, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming after me the, uh, whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will take you and he will immerse you into the Holy Spirit and fire. This is one of the reasons I'm a Baptist, because I'd rather be immersed into the Holy Spirit than sprinkled. I don't want just a little sprinkling. I want to be immersed. Tim gets to make Baptist jokes. I'll make Presbyterian ones. But what does that mean? What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit be fire? What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what I want to open up for us this morning. And I want to open it up for us by asking you another question. Does our experience of the Christian life or our experience of life as a church have any resemblance to what we read in the New Testament? <clears throat> well, sure it does, right? Actually, we just had a list of things in our, in our confession of faith this morning uh, that talks about what, uh, what we should experience as a church. We have sermons, right? We have prayer. We have singing. We have communion. We have baptisms. We read the scriptures. We have fellowship with one another. We read about all of that in the Bible, right? And so, yes, we could say, yes, our experience of the Christian life and our experience of life as a church has a huge resemblance to what we read in the New Testament. Really? How closely... Does your experience of being a Christian and being a part of a church resemble this? For example, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They were continually devoting themselves, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
That's a very familiar passage to most of us, which is dangerous because when we read it, our eyes gloss over and we think that we've heard it when we haven't. What about this one? 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul says to the Corinthians, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Does that ring any bells with you? What about this one? 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Does that passage mean anything? Does it mean anything to us? What about this one? 1 Thessalonians 1, 2-5. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, Knowing, brethren beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Have you ever tasted that? What about in your, in your experience, your own personal experience of knowing God and walking with God? Romans 5, 1-5, to does this sound familiar to you? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Now, hold on a second. How many of you know what the word exult means? Not exult with an A, but exult with a U. How many of you know what that means? Someone show me. Excellent. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) That's what exalt means right there. And he says, we exult in hope of the glory of God. That's what he did. That's what that man right there did. um, In the last two minutes of the Super Bowl on my couch. Actually, he did it from my couch. It was amazing. And he says, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also, he goes on, Romans 5, we also exult in our tribulations. 
Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Now, does any of that make have anything to do with your life? Exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Exalt in your tribulations. Knowing what it is to have the Holy Spirit poured, the, the love of God poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit. What about this one? Romans eight fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know what it is to have the Holy Spirit crying out within you, Abba, Father, intimate, personal, close, warm sense of relationship with God the Father? Do you, have you tasted that? What about this one? Romans eight twenty six and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever known that? Or Ephesians 1, 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you know any of those things that he prayed that you would know? What about this one? Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Have you ever known any of that? Or this, Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, the Apostle Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Or this, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. And though you have not seen him, 
you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You know what's, you know what's interesting about that verse? He's not commanding us to do anything. He's completely assuming. He's writing to Christians. This is what's normal with Christians. Christians are people who love Jesus Christ even though they've never seen Him. They believe in Jesus Christ even though they've never seen Him. And they greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. He's just assuming this is what's normal. This is what's normal for anyone who's a Christian. Is that normal for you? Or is your church experience and your personal experience more like what Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3, 1-5? Listen to these words. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. What would that look like? To hold to a form of godliness, but to deny all of its power. What would that look like? Would it look like you, or me, or us? Tell me, what is your experience of the Christian life and the church like? Does your experience resemble any of this? Now, some of you are are even uptight right now simply because I'm using the word experience. And you've been led to believe that the Christian life has nothing to do with experience. You've been led to believe that the greatest mark of a Christian is not some kind of religious experience, but a right grasp of doctrinal truth. You've been led to believe that the mind is what matters, certainly not the emotions, certainly not the body. Certainly not experience. Now tell me, does that version of Christianity that says the only thing that matters is here Does that have anything to do, any resemblance at all, with what we just read from God's Word over and over again? Does that have any resemblance to what we read about as normal in the New Testament? Do you know in your experience what it is to greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory? Do you know what it is in your experience to have the Holy Spirit come to you and for Him to pour out the love of God in your heart, to be overwhelmed by a sense of God's love for you? Have you you ever had any experience of that? For Him to bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man, to have the Holy Spirit cry out within you, Abba, Father, Nothing could keep that from coming out of your mouth. The Holy Spirit is crying out within you. 
to have the Holy Spirit meet with you as you pray and fill you with with groanings too deep for words. Do you have any experience of what it is to have Jesus himself dwelling in your heart by faith? To know the power of the resurrection of Jesus filling you. To comprehend and to know, to really know in your experience the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Do you know in your experience what it is to be filled up to all the fullness of God? Do you know what it is to want to know Jesus Christ so much, to want to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering that you are willing to lose everything to get that? Do you have any experience in your life of this power of God that is at work in you who believe, the power of God which is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think? Do you know anything of this? If we don't know anything of this in our experience, what is wrong? Well, obviously it could be because we're not Christians. It could also be that we have no experience of these things because we have no expectation of them. Why don't we have any expectation of these things being normal among us and in us. It could be for a couple of reasons. Maybe we have a theology that has locked up all of these experiences in a bygone era. That kind of thing just doesn't happen anymore. And so we have settled into this routine of grayness, of blandness, of flatness. Or maybe it's because We have a theology that has trained us well to focus only on the mind. The emotions and the body have nothing to do with true religion. Maybe maybe you come from a background like mine. And I was in a group of pastors one time from my background. And there was a man, a pastor, a highly respected pastor, giving a talk to pastors about how to preach. And the conclusion of his talk on preaching was, and I'm going to quote directly, you need to preach in such a way that if the Holy Spirit does not show up, at least you had a good lecture. Is that, is that the world that you're coming from? Plan on the Holy Spirit not showing up and have a good lecture. The mindset that says the purest form of Christianity is what happens in the six inches between your ears. Anything that has to do with the emotions or with experience is dangerous. And that really probably gets closer to the real reason why we don't expect these things. It's because we're afraid. We're afraid of losing control. We're afraid of looking silly. We're afraid of looking like fanatics or religious weirdos, some kind of um, some kind of unsophisticated nut jobs. Which is really closer to the real issue, isn't it? We're proud. And in our pride, we have erected this safe zone in our lives, personally, and in our 
church that will always insulate us from knowing and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. We have made a very comfortable, very safe religion for ourselves that will allow us to be religious and soothe our consciences, because after all, we're religious, but we will never have to come face to face with the living God. And we call it godliness. We have become experts at having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And so, of course, of course, we we don't know anything about what Christians for thousands of years have always seen as perfectly normal. And of course, if we don't want to actually experience the power of God moving in us, moving among us, moving through us, then we will not expect it. And if we don't expect it, we will never experience it. So where are you? Where are we? Do you have any expectation that these things that we've just read in the New Testament are even possible for us? And if you do think that they're possible in theory, do you think of them as desirable? Do you realize that not wanting the Holy Spirit to move among us is a sin? We are disobeying a direct command of Scripture if we don't earnestly desire the Holy Spirit to work among us. 1 Corinthians 12.31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14.39, therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Do those commands actually mean anything? Or are we safe from them because, after all, that was for back then? At the very least, can't we all agree that they mean we should desire the Holy Spirit to work in us and to work among us? We don't have to agree about all the details of what he's talking about. But at least we can agree that we have to want the Holy Spirit to work. If not, we are completely disobeying Scripture. It's something we have to want. And one of the most precious words of our Lord Jesus Christ, He encourages us both to want and to ask for the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, look at Luke 11 with me. Open to Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Jesus Christ says, <clears throat> Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Wonderful words. Now, 
Suppose one of your, you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why don't we have? Because we don't ask. Now, Jesus can't be talking, by the way, about getting the Holy Spirit when you first become a Christian. He is not talking about what we think of as regeneration or conversion or being born again. He's not talking about people becoming Christians because they've asked God the Father for the Holy Spirit. He can't be talking about that because he's talking to people who already have God as their Father. Jesus is not talking about what happens when someone first becomes a Christian and first receives the Holy Spirit. He is talking about an ongoing thing. He is talking about Christians. And he says, as Christians, we need to be constantly knocking, asking, seeking, asking the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. It is not something that happens once and is done with. It is something that we need to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And if we do, He will give us, He will keep on giving us the Holy Spirit. But we don't have because we don't ask. Now, what would it look like? What will it look like if we do ask and He does hear us? Certainly it'll look like all the things I've already read to you that were seen as normal for Christians in general in the New Testament. But I want to show you two more things. First of all, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Listen to these words. This is when Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is just about to ascend to go back to his father from where he came. And he's gathering his people, his disciples together for the last time as he's speaking to them for the last time in his body on this earth. And he says to them, it says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, what does Jesus say will happen to people who receive the Holy Spirit, who are baptized with the Holy Spirit? He says they will receive power. Power for what? Power to be his witnesses. And of course, that's exactly what happened to them. They go back to Jerusalem and wait for what Jesus promised to do. And when they're gathered together on the day of Pentecost, God keeps his promise and pours out his Holy Spirit on them. And they are never the same again. They go from being a scared, discouraged, kind of renegade, uh, hiding refugees to being Filled with power. Peter goes from being a, a terrified by a teenage servant girl to being as bold as a lion. He goes from being so controlled by the fear of men that he denies Jesus Christ his Lord to being so 
filled with power that he speaks boldly to a hostile crowd without a shred of fear. What happened to him? It's very simple what happened to him. Jesus kept his promise to him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Same thing happens again in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ in the temple after they had healed a man who was born lame. And it causes a stir and they're arrested by the Jewish leaders there. And they're taken before the Jewish council. He's standing before the council of the men who killed Jesus Christ. Days before. And it says this. Acts 4.8 Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What boldness. Can you imagine what that would have taken to stand before the council who had the authority to kill you and say that to them? And it goes on to say this. Now, as they observed, as the council observed, what? The confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them. They had nothing to say in reply. What can they say? Why do you say in the face of that? We read the same kind of thing. Later in Acts, after they're released, Peter and John, they come back to the disciples and they're praying together. And at the end of this prayer, where Peter and John had been threatened and warned not to preach Jesus again, they're praying together and the Christians say this to God. Acts, this is Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal this is what they expect to happen. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Confidence, boldness. That is what will happen to you if you expect the Holy Spirit to come on you. That is what will happen to you if you ask your Father in heaven to give you the Holy Spirit. But of course, if you don't want that, because you're afraid of it, if you don't expect that, then you will not ask and you will not receive power. I'm convinced that many of the weaknesses in evangelism, our weaknesses in evangelism, 
come from the fact that we do not know what it means to expect and seek after this filling of the Holy Spirit. What is the one thing? The one thing that people say when I'm talking to them, when we're talking about evangelism, what is the one thing that we pray for? What is the one thing that gets in the way of it? What is the one thing that comes up over and over again? It's not that I don't know what to say. What is it? Yeah, or being afraid. I'm afraid. Why are we afraid? Well, it's because we're not bold. Why why aren't we bold? It's because we're not filled with the Spirit. There's more that will happen if you dare to obey God by asking for the Holy Spirit. Completely different. Look Look at Ephesians 5. Or just listen to these words. Ephesians 5, 15 to 20. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Do you see this? First of all, you are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a command of Scripture for you. This is a command of God for you. Literally, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. It is a, it's something to continually pursue. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you cannot possibly claim to be obedient to God and utterly ignore this command once you've heard it. And all of us have heard it. You can't claim to have a high view of the Bible as the inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word of God if you hear this command to be filled with the Spirit and then act as if it does not exist. This is God's command to you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What would that look like? What's he say? He says it'll look like wisdom instead of foolishness. It'll look like understanding the will of God. And get this, it will look like worship. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You will sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord. You will be always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. If you are filled with the Spirit, if you are continually asking and seeking and knocking and in humility expecting God to fill you with His Spirit, then you will be a worshiper. Not just in private, this is talking about public. When you're gathered together, speaking to one another. When you're gathered together with your brothers and sisters. And if you cannot, or if you do not worship with joy and freedom, if you do not or will not sing, if you do not give thanks to God from your heart in corporate worship, then you you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, Where are we? Where are you? Are you seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be? Are you afraid of losing your comfort or losing your control of your life? Are you afraid of losing your dignity? Then no wonder. 
No wonder. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. If you're a child of God, here's the encouragement for us. If you're a child of God, if you have come to Jesus Christ by faith, if you had trusted Him, saved you from your sins because of what He did on the cross for you, if you've come to Him in humility and faith, then these things are your birthright. All of these things are yours. All of the joy, all of the power, all of the experience of intimacy and fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit, all of the boldness and the power, all of this is yours. It's yours because Jesus Christ keeps His promises to you. If you don't expect Him to do these things, it's because you don't believe Him. You have every reason in the world to believe Him. Will you believe Him? Your coldness, your dryness, your deadness do not come from your faith. They come from your lack of faith. They do not come from the Holy Spirit. They come from the fact that you have quenched the Holy Spirit. God commands us, do not quench the Spirit. You tell me. From all of the evidence, what have you done? If this is what's normal, and if this is you or us, then what have we done? Will we obey this command or will we ignore it? Pray with me.